Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. Great to have you with me. Uh, This week, we had the first meeting of our new small group at my house. And just like the first time any group of people get together, uh, there were people in the room who didn't really know each other very well. So we went around the room to introduce ourselves by giving our names. And then I asked everyone to just say one uh, interesting fact about a pet that you had. We discovered that one person had a psychotic cat that they had to get rid of uh, because they were... They were afraid it was going to kill their new baby. Uh, We had another person who has a three-legged dog named Angus, which like the fancy steak. uh, And they they regret naming their dog Angus now because they're vegan. And then we also learned this, that my wife once had a gerbil that literally ripped its own tail off in order to escape from someone who was pinning it down. Now, when it was my turn, I just showed a nice picture of my dog Echo in a dress when she was doing a fashion show with my kids called Passion Paws. And for the record, you are probably well aware of this, but I'm gonna use any excuse to talk about Echo that I can, show you pictures, because she's a gorgeous babe. Anyway, later on, I was thinking about how different the pet stories that, that my wife and I shared were. I mean, my pet story was this cute and cuddly doggy fashion show, and hers was this dark and brutal story of tail amputation. I was going for laughs, but Terry was going for gasps. And I realized that all of the pets and the pet stories that we've had over the years, that everyone in that room shared one story that would communicate something about themselves that they wanted people in the room to know. I, for example, wanted people to know that I'm tender and loving. Terry apparently wanted people to know that she has a dark past and is more dangerous than she looks. I don't know. I mean, all of us do this. It's impossible for everyone, every person that we meet to know our entire life story. And so in order to let people know what's most important about us, we present a few basic things that represent us the best. Now, maybe we might share an event from our past, how we were raised, uh, the sports team we like, but we all share the stories that we think best represent us and our values to the world. The Bible does the same thing, particularly the gospels that tell the story of Jesus. We don't have a record of everything that Jesus ever said, but we do have a record of what the gospel writers thought was most important for us to hear in order to know who Jesus was and what mattered to him. I mean, did Jesus ever have a sprained ankle? Did he play sports? Did Jesus have seasonal allergies? We don't know these things because the gospel writers apparently didn't think that including them would communicate the things about Jesus that they thought were most important. I mean, we assume that because Jesus was human, that he went to the bathroom. But none of those events are recorded either, thankfully. So things were excluded or included on purpose. And that means that every story and action of Jesus that was reported in the Gospels was included for the purpose of showing people who Jesus was, how he lived, and and what he taught. And this includes the stories of the miracles that Jesus did. And that's we're back in this miracles message series to talk just about that. Now, if the point was only to show that Jesus had the power to do miracles, you know, you could throw in the stories of one or two miracles and call it a day. 
But in Matthew 8 and 9, we see this list of nine miracles that Jesus performed, and they're almost all back-to-back, miracle after miracle after miracle. And in this message series, we're actually looking beyond the miracles that Matthew is reporting to find out why the miracle story was the one that got shared. And what is the important thing that Jesus wants about Jesus that Matthew wants us to learn from the stories that he shared. And so today we're looking at something that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. It starts his way. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. Okay, so this is a short little version of this story that we find in Matthew, but we find this woman who's been sick for over a decade. And she comes to Jesus believing that he can heal her. And she believes it so much that she doesn't even need to ask him to heal her. All she has to do is just touch his robe. And her faith, combined with his power, in that moment, actually does heal her. And while the miracle in this story is really clear, the complexity of this story actually runs much deeper. And so today we're going to look at the other gospel accounts of this same story, as well as the religious and historical context, so we can get a better idea of why this miracle, of all of the miracles Jesus did, was a story that Matthew, Mark, and Luke thought was worth sharing. And as we do this, we're going to see a lot of takeaways about who Jesus is and how he sees people. So... So buckle up. First, I want to start with the account of this story in Mark's gospel. And interestingly enough, his account doesn't start with the woman, but it actually starts with a local religious leader. In Mark 5.22, it says that then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all of the people followed, crowding around him. So synagogues were the center of religious and social life for Jewish people, particularly outside of Jerusalem where the temple was. The synagogue was not just a place where people would go to get religious instruction, but it was the hub of their community. And because of that, Jairus, a synagogue leader, he would have been well-known in the community. He would have been someone who was held in high esteem as a leader and as an influencer. Not the Insta style, but like the in-person style. He was a respected and important man. So when he comes to ask Jesus to heal his dying daughter, everybody gets up and they immediately go. But it's not just them. I mean, hearing that this important man's daughter is dying... A large crowd of people get up and they start to follow. And in this crowd of people, we find the main character of our story. And so Mark continues with with his account in verse 22. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay them. But she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. So we find... The woman in the story of Matthew here in the crowd in Mark's account. And Mark describes the woman's illness in a lot more detail. I mean, so not only had it been 12 years, but she'd seen all the doctors, 
all, over all the years, she'd suffered through all kinds of treatments, and in spite of spending literally everything that she had, none of those treatments worked. But this wasn't just a matter of physical suffering. Her illness, it put her at odds with the religious community that she was part of. Now, warning, okay, we're gonna talk about this illness, this constant bleeding that she suffered from, and we're gonna talk about what the Jewish law said about it. But before I do, just let me prepare you. We are going to talk about menstrual cycles. You're like, yeah! I know that wasn't on your church bingo card for today, but we go where the Gospel of Matthew takes us. And right now, it's taking us right to this fun topic. So I just want to give you fair warning in case anyone in the room needs to put earmuffs on. Because the Jewish law had some really strict regulations when it came to a woman being on her period. Uh, in Leviticus 15, verse 19 and 25, it says this, that whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Whew, that was a fun verse. So this, <coughs> this is the holiness law regarding ceremonial, ceremonial cleanness. In order to engage in the spiritual life of the temple and the social life of the religious community, a religious Jew had to be ceremonially clean. And so that included things like avoiding unclean foods, unclean behaviors, and even unclean people. And if you were unclean, the penalties could go anywhere from things like temporary separation all the way to total exclusion from the community, depending on the nature of the violation. And so for a woman, every time she was on her period, she was considered unclean. And anyone or anything that she came in contact with would also become unclean. But it was worse for the woman in our story. I mean, she'd suffered constant bleeding, constant, for 12 years. Maybe her entire adult life. She was always unclean. She could never enter the temple. Anyone she touched would catch her impurity. Anyone she bumped into or who sat in a seat where she had, had sat, unclean. And there were serious implications for marriage too. Leviticus 20.18 says that if a man has sexual relations with a woman during her menstrual period, both of them must be cut off from the community. Imagine you're in a culture where having a large family was a huge priority. You can understand why most men wouldn't marry a woman that couldn't bear him children. I mean, what man would risk not only being constantly ceremonially unclean himself, but would run the risk of being completely cut off from the community for just having sex with his wife? I think that it's very likely this sick woman lived a really lonely life that was full of physical suffering and isolation. She was forever unclean, and her religious uncleanness, it was unrelenting and all-encompassing. So let's jump back to Mark 5, verse 27. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Because she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. 
Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Okay, so a couple of things. For her to push her way through the crowd to Jesus was totally out of bounds. I mean, every person who she touched or bumped into caught her impurity, even if they didn't know it. I'm pretty sure that's why that, I'm pretty sure that's why she just touched Jesus' robe, because if she'd gotten up to Jesus to ask him for healing, she'd have to tell him why. And, And she'd have to explain her violation of the religious norms. Those things would be exposed. But she was desperate. So she pulled her hood up, she shoved her way through the crowd to Jesus, and she touched his robe. And it worked. I mean, she could feel it immediately. Something had changed. She was healed. And everything was wonderful. Until we see what happened in Luke's account. We're picking it up in Luke 8, 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. She thought she got away with it. But Jesus stopped in the middle of the road because he knew. And in spite of the huge crowd that was pressing up against him, all of the people who were jostling into him, he knew what she'd done. Her touch was different and Jesus stopped. He stopped in the middle of an urgent trip to heal a dying girl because this woman had touched him. She was busted. So she comes clean in verse 47. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she'd been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay, so she was terrified. I mean, she was so afraid because she knew that according to religious custom and tradition, what she had done was wrong. Not only were her actions wrong, but she was wrong, unclean. And in her desperate attempt to deal with her own ceremonial impurity, she had spread it to others, maybe even to Jesus. And if Jesus had the power to heal her, that means Jesus had the power to take it back. So trembling, she falls on her knees in front of him and she confesses everything. And the whole crowd heard it. And they're probably wondering, did she touch me on her way up to get to Jesus? And they probably expected Jesus to rip into her. Probably expected him to say something like, how dare you? Not only have you violated the law by not following what it prescribes for people like you, but you may have made every person in this crowd ceremonially ceremonially unclean. You touched me, a holy man, without my permission, and you stopped our emergency trip to go help a dying girl, and not just any dying girl, but the daughter of a synagogue leader, a righteous, a holy, and important man, and an unclean lawbreaker like you thinks you deserve my help More than this important righteous man's daughter? Who do you think you are? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus instead looks at her and he calls her daughter, a term of endearment. And he says, it's okay. You're okay. It took a lot of faith to believe that just touching my clothes could heal you. 
And that faith has made you well. I'm not mad. You can go in peace. It's hard for me to sum up this story into one main point because in a lot of ways, this story is a summary of themes that we've been talking about over and over again as we've looked at Jesus's life in Matthew's gospel. It takes a bunch of those threads of Jesus's character and it kind of weaves them together. But as I wrap up, let me just point out a few observations. And the first is this, it's that Jesus includes the unclean in his kingdom. Again, we see this over and over again, but we see Jesus diminish and even disregard the demands of religious law and custom to care for and include someone who wasn't allowed access. And know this, even though her ceremonial impurity was no fault of her own, the demands of the law still excluded her from full inclusion into the religious community. But Jesus always puts people over religion. And he includes those who church people may see as unclean into his kingdom. So if you feel unclean or if you've ever been treated as if you are unclean by religious people, know this, that's not Jesus. You're invited to come close enough to touch him just as you are. Second, unimportant people matter in his kingdom. Jesus stopped on this urgent journey to heal an important man's daughter so that he could care for an unimportant and unclean woman. He paused in the middle of doing something crucially important for a holy person of honor in order to help an unclean, contagious person of shame. See, your importance and value to the world and to culture don't mean anything to Jesus. The amount of honor or shame that has been placed on you or that even that you carry on your own are completely irrelevant to him because everyone matters in his kingdom. And so if you feel unimportant because you have nothing to offer or, or because of things that you regret or because of labels people have put on you, Jesus still cares about you. And then finally, faith is the doorway into his kingdom. This woman didn't earn her way to Jesus by following the law. She was just desperate enough to believe that he could heal her. She had the faith to risk violating religious law and tradition in order to push her way into contact with him. And it wasn't her ceremonial purity, her religious observance or doctrinal correctness. It was just faith in Jesus. Unclean people can have faith. Impure people can have faith. Sick and desperate people can have faith. And that's all Jesus requires. See, faith levels the playing field. In the kingdom of God, there are no righteous and unrighteous. There are no deserving and, or undeserving, no clean or unclean, just people who are on equal footing through faith in Jesus. And whether it's a little faith or a lot of faith, the faith you put in Jesus is the doorway into his kingdom for all of us. These are the important things the gospel writers wanted us to know. And that's why this story, out of all of the Jesus miracle stories, was one that was included in such detail. Because faith in Jesus is the simple way into his kingdom. And that faith works for the unclean and unimportant just as well as it works for the righteous and well-known. And that's a kingdom I want to be part of. One that's full of the diversity of the human experience. All of the good and all the bad. All of the clean and unclean. All of the messy and the complicated. 
and all of it redeemed by the love and the grace of Jesus. A kingdom where we're all equal under the cross and we're all welcomed regardless of our status. A kingdom he's inviting us to build with him on earth as it is in heaven. And today, if you know you're not part of that kingdom, you're not a church person, a Bible person, a follower of Jesus, but you hear this and it's speaking to you because maybe you have felt unclean. Maybe you felt the label of unclean from religious people. Maybe you felt unimportant. Maybe you felt like God has more important things and more, more important people to deal with. I want to tell you today that Jesus is saying it's okay. You can come. All it takes to enter into this new thing that he is doing in this world and that he wants to do in your life is faith. Just enough faith to say yes to Jesus. To say, I want to follow you. I want this life that you have for me. I want this kingdom that you have for me. I want this community that you have for me. Your uncleanness can't stop the kingdom of God. Your impurity, your, un your unimportance, none of it. None of it matters to him. His arms are open, as wide as the reach of the cross. And he's inviting you to himself. So if that's you, I would invite you to do this. Check on the connect with us link in the notes of this video. Just click that connection card and check the box that says, I wanna be a follower of Jesus. We wanna reach out to you and help you take whatever next steps you need to take. We wanna help you take one step closer in Jesus. So whether you have a lot of faith or a little faith, it's enough. We wanna help you take that step. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.